And Lord, that um, there are so many people who've lost so much. Lord, I pray that um, everything would be restored to them. Father God, that they would turn to you. Those who don't know you would turn to you. And Father God, see where provision does come from. And Lord, that everything would be restored. Because we know these, um, these natural disasters are the result of living in a sinful world. So we come against that now in the name of Jesus. And we just claim restoration. And that your grace and your mercy would be made manifest over the city of Houston right now and over all those individuals there. So Lord, thank you for everything and everything that you represent and everything that you are. And we just pray for open hearts today to hear what you have to share with us as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so listen, I don't know exactly who um, or what or the exact words, but it went something like this. So, you know, with, with everything that's happened in Houston, um, where is your God? You know, right. that this would happen in the Bible Belt. And the response was... God needed to show what true Christianity is like and look at all the pictures, look at all of the... I mean, I don't know if you've seen it on mainstream media, lines for miles long of people coming, waiting to volunteer, okay? All of the pictures of the black, white, yellow, green, purple people working together, helping each other out. And it's not one color or one race reaching down to keep picking up someone else. It's all of the colors working together um, as God created us to do. So if a disaster like that has to come to show what true America is supposed to be like, founded on a loving God, then he unfortunately will allow that to happen. Not that he causes it to happen, but he will allow it to happen. And maybe, and that's a good lead into today because we're going to be talking about anger. This is carryover from last week because we didn't get derailed last week. We really had a good discussion about what anger looks like in our lives as we walk through walk through our lives. And if you guys remember, we're on First Corinthians thirteen, and one of the things that Paul talks about, he says. You know, do not become easily angered and keep no record of wrongs. Get this, we thought we'd talk about anger and forgiveness all last week. We didn't even touch upon anger. We touched upon anger, but that's as far as we got. And we talked about the different manifestations of anger and what that looks like. Now, today, what we want to go Well, I just, I want to refresh. Believe it or not, God expects us to be angry. Does that, does that come as a shock? No. no. Okay. He gave us the emotion. He gave us the emotion. Okay. But the question is, how do we display that anger? What is the root of that anger? And how do we um, walk through that anger that makes it whether or not it's a godly anger or a worldly anger? So because a lot of people... Um, that weren't here last week or here now. Let's uh-huh. go over the different. Sure. Okay. So the different manifestations of anger. We got mi- mild anger brought on by tiredness, hunger, or stress. Or lack of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. Um, that is an addictive withdrawal. 
<laughs> um, response? Yeah, but it's still anger. Just saying. I said it's an addictive <laughs> withdrawal. So when she's when he's withdrawing, there's still a little Long Island that comes out in her every once in a while. She's adding an extra syllable. Yeah. <laughs> I love you. You're pretty. <laughs> okay, you've got uh, the more demonstrative anger, which is yelling, violence. Okay, oftentimes that doesn't happen immediately, but as a result of unchecked, unprocessed. All right, it's the straw that broke the camel's back. You know, it's kind of like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. What are you doing to me? You know. Wow. Uh, that was really effective. <laughs> All right, you've got chronic anger, ongoing feeling of resentment toward each other. Um, and that is, I shared with you how I and my family deal with chronic or dealt, I dealt with, my family deals with um, chronic anger. I woke up in the morning just angry at the world and I never really knew what I was angry at. Um, and I realized um, through prayer and I'm gonna say deliverance too, that really it was a generational pattern. You know, my mother was always angry. Her mother was always angry. Her sister was always angry. My sisters are always angry. I am no longer always angry because God delivered me. <laughs> I realized that it was a generational pattern. And the thing that I love even about deliverance is basically I sat down, I said about a 10 minute prayer because um, I was following someone that was, was talking about this. I physically felt something lift off and I didn't wake up every morning now being angry. Um, so um, we talk about volatile anger, um, explosive but it comes and goes, judgmental anger, hypocritical statements, hypercritical st statements, big, important. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, I can't believe those people in the, um, I'm guilty of this, okay? Those people downtown, okay, speaking about my higher administration at the district, those people downtown, okay, that's a hypercritical response because I'm grouping and classifying, all right? Not everyone downtown is like whatever I was suggesting they were like. It's wrong, I've repented, okay? Um, but the, uh, the hypercritical language uses global language. Everybody, or all the time, and stuff like that. Okay. Um, you've got the um, passive anger, all right? That's when we accidentally, you know, lose the car keys, or burn the meal, or, and, and it really truly is accidental, but it happens more frequently when we have a grudge against someone, okay? You haven't burned a meal in a long time, it's okay. <laughs> but it's that it's passive aggressive behavior that we talk about, where it's like, I, I'm not saying, but it's just one of those underlying currents in, in many relationships, unfortunately. It happens at work and it happens at home. Okay, we've got the retaliatory anger. Um, that's, you know, a lot of times um, it's directed at a particular person or persons, your workplace violence, you know, stuff like that. Self-inflicted anger. A lot of times people don't realize, but depression is really anger turned inwards, all right? When the anger at the world, the anger at ourselves, it, it's an implosion rather than an explosion. And um, then, of course, there's constructive anger. Yeah, anger we put to good use, which is righteous indignation. And when we examine the different types of anger and how the Bible looks or says about anger, 
One of the first one we're going to talk about is righteous indignation. Now, when you hear that term, righteous indignation, what comes to mind, or what do you think of? Like loving what God loves and hates what He hates. It's okay. Putting a voice to it. Putting a in voice a to it. Yeah, in love. Like if you have to address your kids. Okay. Speaking the truth in love. Okay. How else might it look? Anger at some sort of injustice. Or okay. So societal injustice, maybe? Uh, could be. Okay. Could be uh, just some injustice uh, uh, acted upon somebody, somebody else. Maybe somebody who's weaker or whatever. Okay. Stronger, taken advantage. Watching someone being bullied. Okay. All right. Okay. What do you think about that type of righteous indignation? I mean, uh, I, I'm going to ask a different question. When is righteous indignation taken to an extreme? No, on Facebook every day. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, on Facebook almost every day. I think it's pride coming out and judgment because look at them and what they're doing, and I wouldn't do that. Okay. Because I know what's right, you know, but my sin is just different. The person that bombs the abortion clinic for those people that are killing the babies. Right. But it's okay to kill the people that are killing the. Right. <laughs> when, when it when it's, I, I think when it's done because of something in the past. Okay. It could be. I mean, it's because of an experience you had earlier on. Now you allow it to come forth. And that's righteous anger. No, that's that's too far. Yeah. That's taking that's it too it far. Got, okay. Yeah, it's come too far. You yeah. said something? Uh, uh, similar to, uh, what's your name? Teddy? Judging, yeah. Like homosexuality, lifestyle. Okay. Judging their lifestyle. Yeah. Judging yeah. yeah. And Jean shared something with me in a car yesterday, I think. You know what a prism is, right? A triangle piece of glass. And what happens when white light goes through a prism? Rainbow. Rainbow. Depending on where you are in relation to that prism, you're going to see a different color, right? But what's going in? White light is going in. But what you're seeing manifested or coming out, depending on your angle or where you're positioned, is something else. So truth. this is where truth can come in and we see things completely differently. And, and here's the key. When you see one of the colors of the rainbow, you're not seeing the complete picture. We're only seeing a par part of the picture or a part of the truth because of where we're at or whatever glasses we're wearing. Depending on where we are, in, 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 in this is a function of this nation, we could be in a Bible Belt in the South, or we could be in a Bible-believing church in the Northeast. The, the dress, everything, is going to be completely different. I mean, in California, we feel comfortable dressing like we dress to come to church. Ron can go to work like that in California when he worked at ATF. Yeah. I could, uh, now... But if he worked at ATF... In D.C. In, in headquarters, suit and tie. So, yeah. That's what's expected. Same company, different coast. Okay. 
So, and that's the issue with righteous indignation because when is our indignation truly righteous? Or when does it become self-focused and self-centered? So when we look at scripture, we see that God can get angry quite a bit. Psalm 711, God is a righteous judge. He's a righteous judge, comma, a God who displays his wrath every day. Well, but that's in the Old Testament. I mean, the Old Testament, you know, God was an angry, judgeful God in the Old Testament. But we have the love of Jesus in the New Testament. Oh, that's true. It's a good thing, too, because Paul says in Romans 5, 9, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Anybody that does not come to Christ, what are they going to suffer? Wrath. But how many of us know that Jesus actually stopped on the way to the temple to make a whip? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now, did he hit the people and start beating up the people? No. But he was angry, and he wanted a show of anger. And I'm not suggesting that we start making a whip and going in. And going down to your local IRS office and start overturning the tables. But we know that Christ's anger is always a righteous anger. Okay, what they were doing to his father's house was above and beyond reprehensive. And as Christ, not just as Jesus, but as Christ, his anger showed. There there (laughs) There was one guy... Uh, a guy we knew, he was a teacher, very, very biblically sound. And he would often talk about, you know, all the uh, fundraising events in church. And, you know, he'd, he'd be receiving the offering and he says, now don't forget all the money changers and all those fundraising events that are happening too. So it was, it was just really Okay, funny. Mark um, 3, 5 said, Jesus looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed. Jesus looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts said to the man, stretch out your hand. When Jesus asked Pharisees about healing healing on the Sabbath, do you remember the guy wanted some healing? And the Pharisees are like, how dare you do that? This is the Sabbath. You know, we have all these laws and rules and you can't do that. Jesus got angry at that because again, it's against the Father's will. Yeah, and it's against the Father's heart. Because they had an incomplete understanding. The truth came in and they focused on one color of that rainbow coming out. They had an incomplete understanding of what the Sabbath was about. Okay. We talked about this right at the beginning. God bless you. Believers are expected to become anger. Angry. I can't talk. Okay. Then I will. Believers are expected to become angry. That's why in Scripture it says, in your anger, do not sin. They angry. <laughs> no, they're just little kids. <laughs> they're just bouncing around. They're in, having fun. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Ephesians 4.26-4.27. How many people have stayed up all night when you were fighting with someone so that you didn't let the sun go down on your wrath? And, and how many well, believe that that scripture is directed at that? You did. Huh? You didn't bring the peace because you let them go to sleep. Well, you and, no, you're, you're forcing them, so this way you're staying awake. It's we, are stay, we are settling this before we go to bed, because I'm not going to bed angry. 
<laughs> at two o'clock in the morning. Okay, it's people take that. All right. Now, how many people here? And please teach me how, if you can do this. The more tired you get, the better able you are to resolve issues. How many people have that capability? The more tired you get. Well, only if you have to. <laughs> well, okay. Only if you have to. So, what, well, wait a second. But this scripture says, "Do not let the sun go down." Do not let the sun go down while well, you're still angry. I'm sorry. Good night. <laughs> That's all we do, right? Well, wait. What, what happens if you get angry? What happens if you get angry? Sorry for what? What you sorry for? Oh man, it's another hour for you, Johnny. I mean, it's it's. I mean, but when we talk about that, don't let the sun go down on our wrath. How are we reading that? How are we receiving that? How do we walk that out practically? What does it mean? Is it just you in the morning? <laughs> okay, only are you in the morning? I'm not sure, but just to try not to let it keep going and just to try to resolve it as soon as possible? Or is that, I don't know. Okay, um, no, you're relatively new here, so the one thing that you will understand is that really, in, in many ways, we challenge thinking, and there's not necessarily... You know, it's kind of like, okay, we're in Sunday school. So the answer has to be Jesus. Jesus. But an animal that's on four legs with rabbit ears, I don't know. It sounds like a rabbit to me, but it's in Sunday school. It has to be Jesus. We challenge thinking. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, that is part of it. That is part of it. Okay. So years and years ago, a counselor actually told me, when you're arguing, don't bring up more than one item. Mm -hmm. Argue about one thing, finish it, wrap it up, and move on. Don't argue about two things in one day. And I'm like, but that's going to drag on an argument for weeks. And she's like, no, you'll actually find that you're not as angry about the little stuff because the little stuff isn't that serious. So only focus on the big deal, something that's critical to whatever is going on. So if you only focus on one thing, you can hash it out and be done before the sun goes down. Okay. Ready? What if it's a really big thing? Like... Everything that he does. Yeah, but that's more than like my mere existence. That's a big thing. Then remove myself. We're exaggerating. We're exaggerating. Randy, something. Yeah, I was uh, I was thinking about that in, in our relationship quite a bit, and uh, it seems to me that if you're very angry and the time's getting on and you're you know kind of in bed, you're tired. Uh, it only makes things worse yeah. to me to be angry when it's time to you know go to bed. I think I, I don't lose what's in my mind, but the anger's gone. I mean, I, I want to really address the, a resolution in the morning, but you, at least to me, pretty much uh, you can think clearer in the morning with that first fresh cup of coffee. Okay. Yeah, with the coffee. The addictive I'm stuff. The addictive <laughs> stuff. You know, McDonald's will work. But really, I, I think uh, I, I, much clearer, you know, when everybody's had a chance to 
back off a little bit. Okay. Maybe not be so emotional and you know. Okay. okay. Me, anyway. David. Yeah. David. Uh, I was just gonna say for us, I found that verse very difficult to deal with because we were both wanting to settle it before the night was over, and many times it was not something that could be settled that quickly. Um, and one of the things you guys taught us early on was the idea of being able to say, you know what, this isn't going anywhere. I'm saying things I don't really mean. I'm too emotionally involved in this at the moment. Let's table this for tonight or a couple hours or whatever, and then make a plan to sit down and come back to it. And that most of the time when we would do that, if we sincerely did that together, we were then able to go to sleep and actually sleep instead of just sitting there and fuming um, because we tried that too. Well, it's not going anywhere, so I'm just going to bed. And then we just lay there and fume at each other, one on the couch and one in the bedroom, fuming. Still not sleeping, but still not solving anything. Whereas what you taught us gave us the ability to feel like, okay, there's a direction. I can table this for now okay. and go to bed Thank you. and then not it didn't settle it that night, but it wasn't the same as going to bed angry. I literally just had, um, and I believe it's from God. He says, um, you're reading the verse wrong. You focus on don't let sun go down on your anger. But it says, in your anger, do not sin. We're separating those two verses out. That's what we've heard so far. In your anger, do not sin. Is your anger a righteous anger? Is what you're angry at something eternal and as you're in this argument with one another are you not sinning or are you sinning because we are set every discussion we've had here separated those two parts of the verse and that is from God because he gave me the same thing he said you're separating the two verses they were meant to be taken together in your anger do not sin and if we're in the middle of an argument and we're sitting left and right because of what we're what we're saying to one another, guess what we're doing? We're violating the first part. If and the most practical way is to stop for yourself and to say, "Okay, Lord, what's the root of my anger? Yeah. Is it a righteous anger?" Well, yeah, you can't believe what he did, you know, or what she did, or whatever. And okay, but what's my answer to that? Is God's response? And, and so that's self-righteous not righteous the reason the reason we go to bed still angry is because we don't know how to resolve anger we just don't know how to do it well we forget if you just Matt, follow what I want that will solve my yeah. anger if we go back okay okay and if you would just read Matthew 7 1 for me where it talks about getting the log out of your own eye before trying to get the speck out of your neighbors. That went over well, huh? But that's the type of approach. When God talks about be angry and sin not, that's the type of approach. He's, ex he's expecting us to incorporate all of Scripture into this. Be angry and sin not. And how can I do that? By taking a look at the log in my own eye first before trying to get that little speck out of Jean's eye before she goes to sleep because it's really irritating me. And the thing is, sometimes the log in my eye is so big, it's hitting her in the head before my arm can actually reach to get the speck out of her eye. 
There you go. Okay. The Greek actually translates anger into um, two meanings. One means passion and energy, and the other is agitated boiling. Okay? Anger can be seen as God-given energy intended to help motivate and help us solve problems. 2 Samuel 12. David getting upset over hearing Nathan, the prophet, sharing about the injustice. Do you remember that? Do you remember when um, David had his affair? And Nathan was talking about this guy who had, you know, this guy who had stolen the sheep of this, you know, poor farmer and everything else. And this guy had all the sheep he wanted. And, and David was just righteously indignant. And he's saying, who is this guy, essentially? Nathan looks at him and goes, I'm talking about you, dude. Okay. So he had a lot of passion. He had a lot of energy for the injustice that was taking place. But he had a blind sight recognizing that it was actually him. And then we talked about um, in John 2 where Jesus cleared the temples. Yeah. And, and tying it back into that do not let the sun go down on our anger, that righteous indignation can lead really quickly into sin. Because and usually we're using it as a self-righteous indignation, because not you, as a righteous indignation. Right. Okay. Does that make sense? I'm, I'm angry because he wronged me. Not I'm angry because God was wronged. Mm -hmm. All right. God is wronged in a situation like what happened with David. God is wronged. All right. Now, so was Bathsheba. So was... Raya. Okay. Um, but it comes back to God was wronged. God asks us what? To be faithful. He wasn't. So righteous indignation. Oh, you had oh, a question? Sorry. I did. Come on. Just one way to look at it. Um, it could be saying when you realize there's a situation, take care of it. Mm -hmm. If you go to sleep, you'll ignore it the next day, and then you won't take care of it. It's yeah. very possible. Yeah. Very possible. And I think, John, you, you were saying that earlier. You know, it's like, okay, for David, one of you said, let's make a note, and we're going to get back to it tomorrow. Take it. You know, tag it. You know, put a tab on it. Put a hashtag it. You don't make that decision, then you just go to bed yeah. next day. Then you don't resolve what you should have resolved right away. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Agree on following up. Agree yes. on following up. Push it under the road. Keep it up. And that's the key. Because as an avoider, let's just deal with it later. Gene could never count on my later. Because my later became really later. So basically what I would have to do is, can we come back to this in an hour? Or something like that. So it's really important to have that follow-up. Because, yeah, it's really important to have that follow-up. Go ahead. Okay. So one of the things I was going to talk about is righteous indignation in Scripture did not involve self-defense or defending ourselves, but defense of others or a principle. That's one of the things that is saddening about seeing these protests and these marches and everything else. And I was in downtown Oakland. I actually like downtown Oakland. And I was driving back from San Mateo. It was around lunchtime. There's a deli there. Love downtown Oakland. So I pop in there for a sandwich. And I'm thinking about all the stores in that area during these 
righteous marches against injustice and all these store owners having their windows smashed. And their merchandise looted. And their merchandise looted. Seriously. Seriously. That is not the march of Martin Luther King Jr. No. It's not the marches of Gandhi. Okay. So it's important that when we have this righteous indignation, God is expecting that within us. That's a good thing. It's important that we process that well and do it because it says be angry and sin not. And if we are angry about it without doing something about it, then what ends up happening is it tends to sit in us and resentment builds, anger builds, and we get more and more angry about it. And now all of a sudden it's about us and not about the principal, not about the other person. You know, when we talk about um, abuse, especially physical abuse, if there's chronic abuse going on, a lot of times we're used to it. And we don't think that it's affecting us that much because we know what it, we know what it is, we know where it's coming from, so we just kind of let it go off. Um, or that's the way I grew up, that's not where I'm at now. Um, but the truth is, we've talked about that emotional cup. Every injustice, every abuse, every response, um, and every nurturing, okay, goes into our cup, emotional capacity. The thing is, the negative stuff tends to be heavier. And it weighs more in the cup. It's, you know, you ever... Um, you ever have that French press coffee and you get to sludge in the bottom of the cup still? Right? Yeah, it just kind of... Yeah, yeah, but it, it, it weighs down toward the bottom. But then all the good stuff, you know, like, oh, I don't know, the, the whipped cream or the I don't, cinnamon you might put on coffee, okay? That, that kind of stays, floats on top, and it goes pretty quick. The same is with our emotional cup. And that, that abuse turns anger. Sometimes we just feel like it's part of our personality. You know, and think, think about all of the, the workplace traumas, the kids that are blowing up the schools now, you know, going in and shooting people, all right? How many of them you hear the reports of, you know, well, I'm not going to use Johnny because you're here. <laughs> okay. Um, Oliver. Oliver. There you go. You know, Oliver was just so well-loved. He was the captain of the team. He had so many people that just were, you know, there for him, and he got straight A's, and all of the teachers loved him. We have no idea. You know, No, we don't hear stories like that. We hear he was kind of a loner. He came from a dysfunctional home. People picked on him. Right? You know, if you are in a situation, any of us that are in a situation where we have less than a God identity, understanding who we are and how we've been created, we're going to have more anger. Does that make sense? And sometimes that anger doesn't surface until we're actually trying to work through what's in this cup. You know, I gave an example of the French press with the sludge in the bottom of a cup. 
Now, pretend I just let that cup sit on the counter for like six hours and I want another cup of coffee. Who's going to clean that cup out before they add more coffee to it? Hopefully it's a paper cup. Well, or it could be a paper cup, you can just toss it. Okay, but it's not a paper cup. It's a very valuable cup, as a matter of fact. But we would like that cup cleaned out, wouldn't we? And so when we process through this stuff that's in our emotional cup, because it does come out in symptoms, it comes out in anger, it comes out in, in depression, it comes out in all these different symptoms. When we process through that, what's going to happen is, if we're processing through abuse, even though we may have accepted it before as a normal course, anger can develop as a result of processing through that abuse. It's expected. It's expected. And what we have to do is be able to process through that. And that's why it's important to do that with God. Because God can help us process through that. And one of the beautiful things that I love about God is that we've worked through abuse and stuff with a number of different individuals. And ourselves. And ourselves. And I will, when I'm walking through it with them, I will ask them, what is God feeling? What is God feeling? Some have seen God cry when it was happening. God, how do you feel about that? I'm angry about it. You know how much healing is in knowing how God feels about your pain? Not once has God ever said, well, you deserved it. Not once. Because it's not scriptural. Because it's not scriptural. And so as we process through, God can bring healing for the trauma and the emotions associated with the trauma, but telling the victim to just get over it? Oh, come on, it happened 20 years ago. Lighten up. No. And that's why I don't like to pull it up by your bootstraps theology that is in a lot of churches. Just suck it up, move on. Come on, God's a big God. He can handle it. Or how many times do we need to go through this? Yeah. We've had this Again? argument how many times? I thought we were over this. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, Even though it happened 20 years ago, in your brain it's happening every day. Emotionally, it's in the cup. So that anger can still be there because we don't recognize that the cup still needs healing. So if you're having the same conversation, if you're having the same response, you've got to try something different. There's some sludge down there. And that's to bring it before the Lord for healing. Not fixing, but healing. All right. Fixing is, well, sweetie, if you just didn't think about that, or if you change the way you think about it, all right, it'll get all better. Don't you think he'd been working on that for the last 15 years? It hasn't stopped. Thank you, Sherlock. <laughs> Captain Obvious. Okay. So Big O on your chest, Captain Obvious. Okay. So that's when we can go to the Lord in prayer. Okay. That's, I mean, that's really, that's really as silly as it sounds. And there's actually a book that, um, a girlfriend of mine has written, um, she's not a close friend, but um, she's a friend, and um, it's called The Heart Healer by Cindy Bar Bartelli. Yeah. Um, talks about simple prayers. 
um, and she was speaking and I gave her a testimony of um, my first alone mission trip, all right? God had me go on a trip to Turkey, Bulgaria, and Greece with 70 people that I did not know by myself, okay? So I'm in a foreign country by myself, you know, with all these strangers, and I was really very insecure around strangers, period. I mean, I still am, uh, but, you know, here now I am halfway around the world, and I'm by myself, and I'm kind of insecure, scared, um, struggling. I had my little iPod that had my Bibles on it. It had my music on it. It had FaceTime, so we would get to the hotels where there were Wi-Fis, and you know I could show Ron around the hotel, and he was my little security blanket, and it just you know worked out very nice. Um, but it also kept me away from making different relationships, you know, because I was still dependent on my relationship here. Well, we were stuck. Um, the boat broke down, and we were stuck in an island in Greece. And I was sitting by myself, I had my feet over the pier, and I get up, and my iPod decides to go swimming. Oh, no. Okay? I was devastated. I was devastated because there went everything. Okay? But there was one woman that I kind of met, she was actually on the other bus, and she noticed that I was upset. It's like, what's the matter? It's like, well, my iPod went swimming. And she came and she says, well, Lord, we thank you so much for the presence of that iPod in, in um, Jean's life. We really celebrate that you gave her that ability, and we will mourn the loss, okay? <laughs> okay. It sounds hilarious, right? It was probably about two, three minutes that she prayed. A nice little okay. memorial prayer. Nice little memorial prayer for my iPod, all right? Do you know what that did to my heart? It eased my heart. It helped me so much. I can't explain how much it helped me that someone would come alongside and mourn with me, okay, and recognize the importance of that stupid little, okay, machine, all right? But she came alongside and mourned with me. This woman lives in Wisconsin. She is my best friend, okay? Because that little encounter, me reaching out to her, did something for her that she needed as well and that she didn't recognize she needed. So we've literally been friends across the world, all right? Um, and yeah, and actually Ron's good friends with her husband, um, you know, so. We thought about moving to Wisconsin. <laughs> we have, <laughs> you know, but God has brought together things out of weird circumstances that you don't think are that important. But if she hadn't have said that, that little prayer for me, I think I would have totally just shrunk into myself and, and shielded myself in a little corner and endured the rest of the trip. But because there was release, there was healing, I was able actually to step out of my comfort zone and, and enter into new experiences and new relationships that I wouldn't have had otherwise. And I really appreciate that story because what does scripture say? Mourn with those who mourn for they will be comforted. And whenever we're in an argument or whenever we get angry, why is that? It's because there's a part of us internally that's hurting. 
We generally don't get angry when everything is going well. But there's a part of us that's been triggered and is hurting deeply. And what happens is we lash out. And then what's the typical response that we get back? Another volley across the bow. And all of a sudden we're taking up positions and shooting at one another. As opposed to one of us just dropping the weapons and getting in close and, and wondering what's going on. That two or three minute mourning with those who mourn brought a tremendous amount of comfort. So it's helpful, even in the middle of an argument, if you can do it and say, God, what's going on? What is hurting here? We all can hear from God. You're all his kids. You might not recognize his voice yet. But if he says something biblical that you don't want to do, guess what? You just heard his voice. If he says, if he tells me, son, I need you to be humble and come alongside your wife. That's biblical, right? What if I don't feel like doing it? Do it anyway. It's God's voice. Do it. Well, in that part, if he doesn't come alongside and he becomes angry, it's actually sinful anger. It is sinful anger. Motivated by pride, James 1, 19 through 20. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become, become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Just doesn't. Doesn't say usually. Just says doesn't produce the, the righteousness that God desires. What verse is that? That is James, James 1, 1, 19 through 20. Yep. Okay. Um, when our anger is unproductive and distorts God's purposes, right? Kind of like the guy that blows up the abortion clinic. Okay, um, that violates First Corinthians ten thirty one that says, "So whatever you eat or drink." Okay, I shouldn't drink, right? That's what that says, and I need to not be gluttony. But we skip over this. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Whatever you do, do for the glory of God. I can tell you one thing. There's a lot of things in my life that I don't consciously do for the glory of God. Now, isn't that where things get a little hinky? Because, you know, not that I'm advocating for this by any means, but that person that did blow up that abortion clinic that you're using the example of, he's, he's looking at it, or she, that he or she is doing it for the glory of God. Mm-hmm. He's doing it because abortions are bad. God mm-hmm. is against it. So to that person, they are doing it mm-hmm. for God. You think they're not. And if you take any one scripture out of context or out of the totality of scripture, that's Absolutely. where... Absolutely. Everything can get twisted. That's, to, that's where the twistedness comes up. So if you're doing it for the glory of God then you need to look at who's going to get the glory at the end. And what does God's word say? He says that it is his will that who should perish? None should perish. What are the two greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
when we take those those things, okay, heaping a bomb into an abortion clinic to save lives is actually violating everything else. Okay. Yeah, I, and we're not saying that and you are. We're, we're not, not saying, saying that you not, are, but, but that's the that's the mindset that people get in. Right. And remember but the you can't, sometimes you just don't get to change their mind. It's big, like that no. endless battle that sun is gonna set on that you can't it, change it, and it's it's because their mind is set that they are right, and you can't change it. Right. And and the only minds that we can actually influence are our own. But in that process, and in the process of loving our neighbors, there is a hope that that will transform. But we're not—we're not responsible for transforming anyone else. No. We can't, you know. But like when it's too exhausting to try sometimes. <laughs> well, it's—it's it's hard. It it, it's hard because we we deal in a much smaller situation. It's a heart issue. Because we deal with a lot of couples. Mm -hmm. Guess what? Might even file for divorce. It breaks my heart. It really does. And at the same time, we can give, we can give, we can give all we want. They still have to walk it out. So. All right. On that positive note, yeah. anything else? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in our in our in our discussions with one another, anger can become sinful when we move from attacking the problem to the individual. And that's the personal arguments. That's where they get Ephesians 4, 15 through 19 talks about speaking the truth in love and building one another up. I'm just speaking the truth in love and we're yelling at each other. It's like, seriously. I always find the worst arguments are the ones when you say, you always do this. You never do that for me. Like, well, because it's not true. Yeah. That global language is not true. And when you say it, you can't take it back. And what, well, it's like trying to put toothpaste back in a tube. <laughs> One of the things that we've tried to do... Oh, there it is. Okay. One of the things that we've tried to do is teach people... That's the problem. The chair. The chair is the problem. Because oftentimes, I can't believe you put it there. <laughs> because you and I are one, and if I put it there, you put it there, so it's all your fault. <laughs> but we do that. We have, we have this problem, and we're blaming each other for the issue, instead of focusing on what the issue is. Really, it is your problem. I really need to learn about these object lessons and preparing in advance. Now wait a second. I, me being short is not my problem when he puts stuff high on shelf. <laughs> okay, but this is this is the truth of that, and that's what I was actually. Thank you because I was going to come up with another one, uh, and I'm short as well. All right. <laughs> Some families will look at it as, this is your problem. You've got to deal with it. Okay? It's your problem. You've got to deal with it. All right? He's not responsible. It's my fault that I'm short. All right? It's my fault I'm short. So if I have to, you know, whatever, it's, 
my problem. I, I should find a way to climb up onto the top shelf. Right? I shouldn't be yelling at them all the time. God made you perfectly short, and he put a perfectly tall person in your life to help you out. <laughs> and he made stools. So many, so many times, though, as a couple, we separate it, that it's your problem or it's your problem. All right? And really, what we need to look at is, okay, my shortness is causing issues. Yeah. Okay? The fact that I am short, I have limitations, it's causing issues. As a couple, how do we come together? Because believe it or not, it's just as much of a problem to be tall yeah. as it is to be short. Yeah. Do you know how hard it is for a tall person to bend over and load or unload the dishwasher? I mean, it, I don't think of that because I just go like this. <laughs> That's all I gotta do, all right? But someone else, all right, I mean, six, seven feet tall, you know, they're like this and having to bend down, it's a hard problem. And this is this is the other thing too. And this is, we're giving you the out, And this is a concern I have, and this is one of the concerns I have with regards to the way typical churches are set up. Men's ministries, women's ministries. Kids ministries. Kids ministries. We have celebrate, uh, uh, celebrate Recovery, which is really great. It really is. And so are the men's ministries. And so are the, so are the women's ministries. ministries. So are great. the kids ministries. And at the same time, what those can do is lend ourselves to, you have an issue with anger, you get together with the men, you fix this. You have a work addiction. You go to celebrate recovery. You get to solve because no, I'm, I'm tired of you being at work, or you're codependent. Whatever that, it is. that's a woman's ministry, yeah. you know. That's a <laughs> okay. So whatever it is, we expect the other person to get it fixed and handle it, so that they can come back to us a better person. Wow, what if God had that attitude? You fix you, and when you clean up your act, then you can come to me. He doesn't have that issue. No. Okay. As as a, a marriage, okay, as a marriage, whatever issue either of us have, it's our issue. Okay? And we can look at it and say, okay, I may bear primary responsibility for being short, okay? And we know we're talking about bigger things here, okay? No um, pun intended. I, <laughs> So I may bear the primary responsibility for being short, all right? But it really is a an issue that we can work together and he can help support me. All right? Now what about if I'm dealing with my boss? All right? Does that mean that it's my issue and I'm alone or I have to go to Ron to help fix? I have to forget or I have to remember, excuse me, I have to never forget, all right? That God is also in on this. And he has the ability to transform my thinking about the circumstance. All right. Now, my thinking may be, okay, Lord, I need another job and to open up, you know, because quite frankly, there are some circumstances and situations that are abusive and need to change. All right. Um, but he can help you to see it from a different perspective as well. Yeah. All right. So how do we handle this anger? 
Well, it's important to recognize and admit that any prideful anger and or our wrong handling of anger is sin. That's just what it is. This confession should be both to God and to those who have been hurt by our anger. And avoid minimizing the sin by excusing it or blame shifting. So, you know, I wouldn't... Yeah, I I, I admit I was wrong, but, you know, bottom line is, if you hadn't, then I wouldn't have. Well, I'm sorry if you felt that way. You're sorry if I felt that way. Wow, we haven't heard that language in a long time. <laughs> okay, but That's how bizarre what is, it is. What is that word? I'm sorry if you responded like that. I'm sorry you have a problem with this between you and me. I don't have a problem with it. You're the one that responded wrong. Uh, so I'm sorry so you I'm got sorry a problem with that. I'm sorry if you've got a problem with that. Yeah. That's not really sorry. No, no it's no. not really sorry. You should be responsible I'm sorry if my actions, I'm sorry if my actions made you angry. I can see that they did, mm-hmm. and that was wrong. I was wrong. Three simple words. I was wrong. Not I'm a screw-up, not I'm an idiot. Well, wait a second. Does that mean I need to take the blame for every time you get angry? No. Did I say that? I well, if I've got, got to that. apologize... What's in your cup, woman? <laughs> if I have to apologize that my actions made you angry, does no. that mean that I, you know... No, because there's a self-check that's involved, too. Because if Gene has to apologize for every time that I got angry, guess who's blame-shifting? Me! I'm not taking ownership of the issue. I am blaming her consistently for me being angry. Guess what that's called? It's called abuse. That's an abusive relationship. Where I excuse my anger because of what my wife is doing. Yeah. Did that answer the question? I don't know. Did that answer the question? I asked it for someone here in the room. (laughs) Okay. 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 How else can we deal with the anger? Seeing God in the trial. And it's not like, oh, oh, God, 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 why are you doing this to me? It's not enduring it. I still remember at work one day, God told me, I, 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 you're here because I want you to be here. And I, I, I was standing up, I said, fine, I don't have to like it. <laughs> and God is saying, whoo, we got another issue to deal with now. Okay? Seeing God through the trial. It doesn't mean God brought on the trial. It does mean God is true to his word. And if I walk through it, and if I allow God to walk through it with me, all things come together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, for then they can be conformed into the likeness of Christ. There is something good that can come out on the back end of this trial if I allow myself to see it. Even in a, even in a argument, in marriage, and, and other relationships, there is something good that can come out of this. I love a, a prayer that my friend posted. She says, down in the valley, in the middle of a storm, but God is my strength and comfort, could use lots of prayer for my family. And then she lists out. When we're in the middle of the storm, when we're down in the valley, are we crying because of the rain? 
or are we recognizing that the rain comes from God and that he can actually use that rain for something else? Are we saying that he's our comfort? Is he the one that's our healer? Is he the one that can transform things, can restore things, can provide things, can make a way where there seems to be no way? But we also have to make room for God's wrath. Why? Because there's a cross. We have to understand that there is a wrath of God. And we have to allow room for it. God is a good God. God is also a righteous God. And if there wasn't God's wrath, if there wasn't his righteousness, there would have been no need for Christ on a cross. So it's important to understand that balance. So, you know, evil men abuse innocent people. They just do. And we can't question the goodness of God because of that. God will take care of that. God's word does say that. There is a final judgment day. There, there is a final judgment day. How to handle anger? Returning good for evil. Do not become overcome, do not become overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 12, 21. This helps us to convert our anger into something good. As our actions flow from our hearts, so also our hearts can be altered by our actions. So as we start acting this out, as we start living this out, our hearts can become actually changed. Gene has a great saying. You can act your way into it's, a better... It's easier to act our way into a new way of feeling than feel our way into a new way of acting. Yeah. Because okay. if you wait until you feel like it, guess what's not going to happen? You're never going to feel like it. You're never okay. going to feel like it. So, I have a question. Mm -hmm. You said there's always a judgment day. Now, what if the person doing the wrong has hurt you, doesn't believe in the same God, and they believe something's totally different? Every needs no bad. Is your truth truth? Is your truth truth? Absolutely. Okay, my truth, my scripture, my, my Bible, my word, the word of the Lord Jesus Christ who was died, um, crucified, resurrected, okay, buried, resurrected, that word says there's going to be a final judgment day, and all will come before the throne. Okay. So regardless of whether or not someone else believes that, I'm not going to say that there's ultimate truth that gets you into heaven. I will never say that because I don't believe that. I believe the scripture is the unerrant word of God, and that is the solid truth. Um, you know, you may believe something different. Um, that's your choice. According to my scripture, that choice may not be the best one. And what it comes down to is who, who are we trusting in? Are we trusting in the opinion of somebody who's trying to hurt us? Right. Or are we trusting in the opinion of a God who loves us and the truth of a God who loves us? So, uh, you know, my simple answer to you, this is kind of a guy answer maybe, so I apologize for that in advance. So what is that to you? What is it to you, what they believe or choose to believe or not believe about their own judgment? Because you know the God who you believe in is going to is righteous and is a righteous judge. And if that individual does not, that person will have to deal with that with God at some level. And it could lead to their salvation. I mean, ultimately, I have a friend that's always said this, and I agree with him. There's going to be three surprises when I get to heaven. One, that I actually got there. Two, that the people that I'm sure were going to be there aren't. 
and the ones that I thought for sure were not are. Okay. Bottom line is, our heart is deceitful above all things. That's what the word says. All right. Only God alone really knows our heart. I try to the best of my ability to believe and have faith in what his word says and act on that faith. Um, but I don't know everyone's heart. Lots of people that look good. Satan knows every single word of scripture. He can quote it better than me. We're, that doesn't mean... Yeah. That's why you better pray for the other We're going to close on this story. We're going to close on this story. My biological father beat us. He was an alcoholic, he was an abuser, and he beat us. Knives to throats, picking babies up by hair. Dropping them. Okay? This was the lifestyle. This was... I, I lived for maybe four or five years in that mess. My older brothers lived through it a lot longer, right? I'm trying to figure out, because you know, you, you go through a life like that and then on your deathbed you say, I receive Christ. And some of us look at that and wonder, wow, he can live like the devil for 70 some odd years and he gets into heaven just like I do. Where's the righteousness in that? Where's the, where's the justice in that? And then God just put it into my heart. You have no idea the regret that he felt the moment he received my son. You have no idea the regret he felt. That'll do it to us. Teddy? And what about the fact that he lived all that life, the life that he had on earth, regardless of you know what comes in the next? I mean, he lived a life of judgment. He, he brought it on yeah. himself. He no never got to meet with his sons. Right. I mean, he never got to meet my kids. Right. So, I mean, and he didn't live a longer life. Right. A longer yeah. life is promised. I mean, there's, there's a whole lot of different things. Yeah. And... When Ron shared what he just shared, which is something that he hadn't shared before, I hadn't heard. That's because God just gave it to me. Well, one of the responses that I heard is, and you as a righteous Christian have sinned against me so many times and haven't felt regret once. Mm -hmm. Because I've minimized my sins. Because I've minimized my sins. I sin daily and I don't recognize and I don't repent daily. You know, I catch the big ones. Yeah. All right. But in God's eyes, they weigh the same. All right. I, I was just going to say, like, I'm, I don't know. Um, like, I, I've been hurt by a lot of people that are, like, especially associated with church. And I've grown up in church, and, you know, sometimes I'm just like, God, they're. They're horrible people. Like, I don't understand why they act like that. And uh, one person in particular, but, um, you know, it's something, I mean, God, you know, God is always very loving about it and just, you know, brought me through it. But there are times, like, I mean, I'm, I'm human. I judge, you know, and I, I judge people. And I'm like, look at, you know, what they're, they're doing. And then, like, somebody reminded me of a verse one time that says that our righteousness is filthy rags. So, like, when I look at myself and I'm like, oh, but I'm not doing that. And, I'm, you know, that reminded me that 
you know, I, I may not be doing that, but like, you know, my my best, you know, I mean, I can try my best, but I'm never, that'll never get me to heaven, you know, like. Right, right, so, right, yeah. right, that's true. I mean, it's, it's we compare our insides with other people's outsides, you know, and sometimes we compare other people's outsides with our insides, and they don't measure up, but it's only through Jesus's eyes and only through his perspective can we see righteously either ourselves or others. And when we're not doing that, hurt prevails. Hence the emotional cup, hence the anger, hence next week forgiveness. Yeah, and <laughs> hence a word of hope. For if we confess our sins, he is faithful, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So I'm going to ask you to be brave and put your hands on your heart and repeat after me. Father God. Father God. Examine my heart. Examine my heart. And reveal those areas. And reveal those areas. Of unrighteousness. Of unrighteousness. So that I can confess them as sin. So that I can confess them as sin. So then I can be cleansed. So then I can be cleansed. And free of all unrighteousness. And free of all unrighteousness. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you for sharing.